Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 40-year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. Great to be with you. Good to have you back. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that's logged a lot of miles behind the wheel and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Hi, Rob. Glad to be in the car. Today is a very special podcast as we're on location at the Portage County Highway Department and sitting with us is Nathan Check. Nathan's our highway commissioner. Nathan, that sounds pretty important. Thanks for being here. Well, I appreciate the invite. Thank you, Rob. Well, thanks for hosting it. We're actually on location at the Portage County Highway Department. Well, let's hop in, buckle up, and hit the road. Well, like I usually do, I always kind of head back in time and dig up some history, and this time on the Wisconsin highways. What I found under the Wisconsin Department of Transportation is that in the mid-50s, Wisconsin adopted a bare pavement policy for the state highways. Simply, the policy meant that every effort would be made to keep the highways clear of snow and ice through the entire winter season. To make this happen, plows needed to operate continuously through a snowstorm to keep them clear and applying sodium and calcium chlorides. In the winter of 73-74, the plan was modified because of a nationwide energy crisis. The changes included creating three separate classes of highways with three separate plowing and ice control policies. Now, Nathan... How, if at all, has this all changed today? Well, every season's different, definitely, with winter maintenance, but the DOT still does have priority routes and uh, different roadway categories based on the amount of traffic that they see and the level of service that they want to provide. So there definitely is a different expectation in Portage County for roads such as I-39 or U.S. Highway 10 compared to some of the two-lane state roads. And then from the county system, it's the, the same thing, that we've got our um, primary routes, which would be our salted routes, that we provide a higher level of service and more clearing. And then we have secondary routes that really focus on hills, curves, and intersections, and most of those uh, receive a sand treatment versus salt. So on our lower volume county roads, you will see some snow and ice pack possibly throughout the winter season that they're not cleared from fog line to fog line. So does that also, the city then gets involved with that, or do you have ever conversations where, you know, a county road comes into a city road and that that road has a different policy? Not so much on the, the county roads. So any of the county roads with located within the, the city or the villages, we maintain those roadways throughout. So County HH is a good example that would run through City of Siemens Point, Village of Plover, Village of Whiting, where we would plow that entire route. It's more of the side streets that would connect. And from a, a county or a state standpoint, we really don't get into what the local should be providing for a level of service. So you got to always figure out what kind of road it is if you're going to complain about it. <laughs> Correct. So you don't just, get any complaints, do you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> depends on the day. But uh yeah, from a roadway standpoint in Portage County, I'm um, just looking at our roadway system. We do have our state roads, which would be the interstate, the U.S. highway system, and any of the state trunk highways. So those are typically numbered. So the I-39s or the state highway uh, 49s. Then we drop down to the county system. Um, those would be all your lettered roads. So the county A's and Z's and double Z's. And then your local streets, which would have the main street, north, second street, um, whatever boulevards there may be. So if you have a roadway concern, it really is important to take a look at what name is on the, the road sign. And if it's a, a letter or a number, definitely call the county highway department as we perform the maintenance on the state system. But any of the local roads, you'd be talking to your town, village, or city with any of those concerns. Well, that's very helpful information. 
I had previously talked about the uh, sodium and calcium chlorides. Does that hold true today? Is that the same product that you use today? So in Portage County, we primarily use sodium chlorides versus any sort of additives or calcium chloride. On the state system, it is a straight road salt that we pre-wet with a salt brine, which is salt and water. Basically, there are other counties um, that are experimenting with different additives that have organics and have magnesium chloride or calcium chloride that would help reduce that uh, freezing point and also has more of residual effect it stays on the road longer. But for Portage County right now, um, what you see is applying is strictly, strictly rock salt with uh, brine. So when we say salt, it's just that simple. Excellent. So how do you know, and this is probably a big question, but how do you know how much salt to have on hand at the beginning of each season? Are you just that good at forecasting? Are you and your team that good? Uh, we'd like, <laughs> like to think we are, but we can't control Mother Nature. So we've got some restrictions, of course. One is salt storage. We have both state and county salt storage here, as well as there's a state satellite storage out in Junction City off of uh, I-30, or U.S. Highway 10, I'm sorry, and uh, Highway 34. So it comes down to how much can you store? We have an annual contract through the state's vendor, how much we're required to buy. So we're guaranteed Mm -hmm. to buy a certain amount. And then we have a reserve amount that we don't necessarily need to buy, which is 20% of our order. That gives us a little bit of a buffer. So it's really playing the game on how much salt do we typically use versus how much can we store. And if we don't buy our guaranteed amount, we're paying storage fees at their docks, which is very expensive. So ultimately, we look at our 10-year averages, um, look at our highs and our lows. Can we buy enough to make sure that we have our worst year ever, yet have enough storage if we need it, if we have a very light year like last year? So there's a number of counties, ourselves included, that were really scrambling to make sure we had enough storage last year with the light winter, which is a very positive thing from an environmental and from a cost standpoint that you may not even think about. But we do have limited storage here for our our salt. And those facilities are usually what you see as the cone-shaped buildings that have oftentimes sand or sometimes salt piled outside. Sure. So we've got four different salt sheds on site, and those may be the domes or are more, look like more like a barn structure. So there's fabric structures, there's there's all kinds of different structures out there that store those valuable materials out of the elements. Got to take care of that salt. Exactly. It's crucial to safety on the highways. (laughs) So does the salt go bad? Moisture and stuff get in there? Does it? Moisture can. We've had discussions with our our salt as we've had some lighter years here and some conservation practices that we've had salt in the back of our sheds that haven't seen sunlight or the roads for here years, four or five years. And there is some compaction on it, but ultimately we found that we haven't had much issues with the older salt. As long as it's quality salt pumping from the docks without a lot of impurities, uh, we've had good luck storing the salt for sure. a number of years. How does it arrive? Just by dump truck? By dump truck, some municipalities may be getting it by rail, but primarily all of our deliveries are by dump truck. It's got to be a lot of dump trucks. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. To build up for the season, when do you start receiving salt? Well, you can start receiving salt in summertime if you have the available loaders, but with our equipment, typically our loaders are out our maintenance and construction projects. So we typically schedule our salt deliveries here in November as we have that transition period. But our goal is always to have a couple thousand tons extra throughout the year because as we've experienced a couple of years ago with the April blizzard, you never know when that next big event is going to come. So our goal has always been to have at least half a shed full for those events 
And we've had had instances then when municipalities have ran out too that we end up selling to them to give them a buffer. So we're very fortunate here in Portage County that we do have some robust storage facilities that while it is a concern and something we need to evaluate every year, we usually have a pretty big buffer range on what we can store versus what we apply. We do have a link on our website at allaboutthecarpodcast.com from the Wisconsin DOT on winter road maintenance, and they say this is everything you wanted to know. So make sure you check that out. Nathan, we're going to shift gears just a bit here. You mentioned a blizzard. So we all know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. What are you and your team's biggest challenges during and after a blizzard? What's the number one thing that stands out in your mind? Number one concern and wildcard for us is always the traveling public. So even with retirements, new employees, training, all those things, our operators, our supervisors that are here, winter maintenance is their priority, is their concern, is is what they're here for. We've got employees that sleep with their boots on mm-hmm. that are waiting for that call to get in that truck and clear the roads. They know their section. They know their truck. Winds can definitely play tricks on us here and, and create difficult conditions, but We've got very good equipment that's well-maintained by our mechanics, but at the end of the day, the biggest wild card that we have out there is the traveling public. And that's the awareness, that's the speeds, that's the distracted drivings. While you're out maintaining. While we're out maintaining. It's not every storm, but we have multiple hits every season from vehicles, semis, you know, hitting our trucks, sometimes which leads to a disabled truck, which now you're pulling that operator and that truck off their route. Now we're finding a reserve truck, a reserve driver. That road may not see a plow now for another hour in those severe events, which can lead to some pretty significant changing conditions. So it really is for us, and this is a common theme, whether if it's winter maintenance, summer maintenance, or construction, is the biggest wild card and concern that we have out there is the traveling public and their awareness. Because we can put as many flashing lights, we can put as many cones, we can put as many drums out there. But if their eyes are now looking at their cell phone to check their fantasy football score or their message from one of their siblings, they're not paying attention to what's in front of them. And that really is a struggle out there for our crews. And it's getting worse and worse. And is that a a strike from the rear usually or from the side? From the semi-hits, it's more from the side, them crowding our plows and or taking off mirrors, or, or they're hitting the wings. We've had rear-end collisions where cars have driven right into the back of our trucks. We've had cars try to pass our vehicles, which then lose control, and then we end up hitting them from the side or the front. So there's no distinctive pattern, but it really, really is a concern of ours. With a car approaching from the back of a snowplow in a, in a blizzard condition, let's say, where it's hard to see, what's the right thing for our drivers to do? Uh, really take your foot off the gas and slow down. State law does require 200 feet separation distance between a snowplow and, and the driver, 35 mile an hour roads and greater. So there is laws out there to help prevent this, and that's to help them have vision in front of them, as well as for our driver to see them in their mirrors, to know that they're back there. As much as we try to minimize our backing movements, every route, we're required to do some backing. And, and if we can't see you in our mirrors, the driver definitely can't see you. Is there any situation that you can pass a plow, or are you not supposed to be passing a plow ever? There's no specific state law that prohibits passing a plow. I think it really comes down to common sense. And if our plows are out there plowing snow off the road, there's a good chance that the roads are in poor condition and that you should be reducing your speed anyways. And when it comes down to it, if you're plowing our plows, which may be plowing typically around that 25-mile-an-hour range, 
their sections are typically shorter, there's a chance they're going to be pulling over soon or matching up with somebody that will give you an opportunity to maybe go a little bit faster. But what you may gain by passing that plow, you may lose by sitting in the ditch for an hour waiting for a tow truck. Makes sense. Because they always, I will say, they always, you know, like throw a little snow in either direction. So Correct. And even with some of our one-way plows that are formed to throw snow directly off, with light events like last night, that snow is blowing everywhere. Even just off the tires, it's going to be blowing and create that vision issue. You know, what's always impressed me is uh, we have a section of highway just east of Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Um, that's, I believe, four lane with a center turn lane. And when the plows make an effort to clear that at one time, the plows are lined up, staggered is what I call how the heck is that done? You've got to have some training involved with that. You know what I'm talking about, right, Nathan? Yes. So we do some tandem plowing for that particular section. We can use up to five different plows just to clear that center turn lane out and then get the snow all the way over to the outside of the road. But it comes down to training and then ultimately communication. And, and that is one thing that our radio chatter is always constant because these drivers really rely on each other and supervisors and, and everybody on board to have that communication. With doing something as major as that, we also rely on our sheriff's office and state patrol who are great partners out there for winter maintenance. And again, as just people with the traveling public, as you again think about this and if it's whether if it's passing that plow or picking up that speed or distracted driving, and now that you're in the ditch or the median, you put yourself at risk, but now you're putting that tow truck driver at risk. You're putting that police officer at risk or sheriff's deputy at risk. Um, that's responding to that accident during these poor weather conditions. So really take care of yourself by putting your cell phones down, eliminate the distractions, and take your foot off the gas. Every time I see that staggered operation, I always think of the Blue Angels. <laughs> yes. I always think of how well they do together, and it's just communication. It's yeah. teamwork, and it just absolutely amazes me, which... It comes down to training, I would think. There's probably a lot of... Tra- How do you train your plow operators? I mean, there's got to be a... You must have a format or a schedule for training for these folks that are coming into this business. Sure. So all of our hires are required to have their CDL. So most of the drivers do have some truck driving experience. But now throw a, a plow, two wings, an underbody, a spreader, sanders, everything else on it. It's, it's a whole different ballgame, of course. So... Our typical training is a minimum of 40 hours, and that's windshield time and driving time with experienced drivers. And then ultimately, there's a sign-off by one of our supervisors to ensure that, that they're on the roadway. Through that rotation, we really focus on starting them out on the lower volume roads. Um, we're not going to have that much exposure to traffic. And then working all the way up through the, the state system because plowing some of our, our secondary county roads are a whole different ballgame than, of course, I-39 with the amount of traffic or Highway 10. Every year we do have a snowplow rodeo, which there's actually a course that we drive through and they get scored points. And then uh, breakout sessions too on things such as sander safety, lockout, takeout, those types of things that, you know, we need to touch base on every year. But with the work shortage and with retirements and we have a number of new employees that are going through this and it really is a, a commitment for them because of the amount of skill you need to be out there on the roads with the amount of speed and traffic that's out there i just can't imagine the amount of controls in that cab yeah so just thinking about the controls so on our state trucks we have double wings right and left you've got the wing control you've got plow up plow down plus rotation the hoist up and down because our trucks don't have conveyor belts in order to get salt back 
to the spreader. They need to lift up the box, which at that time, they're worried about power lines and trees. We've got underbodies, which help with scraping the ice. That's an up, down, and rotation movement, plus pressure control. We've got our spreader control, which is the amount of salt you're putting out at any time. That then drops down to a spinner, which we can control that speed as well to try to get our salt right down on the center line so it's not bouncing off on the ditch. Our pre-wet control, we wet the salt before it hits the road so it reduces the bounce and activates it sooner, while all trying to keep this plow truck with this big hunk of steel plowing in the center of the road. So there is a ton going on in that cabin. When we show people the controls that our operators need to operate every day, they're truly amazed on what goes into it. I can't imagine. Oh, it takes a much better man than myself, for sure. I just can't imagine what that cockpit looks like. <laughs> okay, as with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away on a Wisconsin road trip, and we always look for interesting destinations. This time, we've chosen to travel to the National Railroad Museum in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Let's hop in and go for a ride. So what family and young children don't like trains? Everybody loves trains. It's just, it's part of our history. It's part of our past. And we have just a gem right here in Wisconsin in Green Bay called the National Railroad Museum. So it's a national location, museum. And it was founded in 1956, or there was something about that dates back that far. So this has been around a while, and the good part about that, they've had a lot of opportunities and chances to collect some pretty cool railroad memorabilia and engines. Have you ever been there? I have not been there, but I have plans to do so. That is awesome. I'm, I'm actually going to be in Green Bay for a, celebra- a family celebration. I'm going to go this weekend. Nice. You're going to have to report back to us I for sure. report back. Sounds like a lot of the displays and a lot of the engines and railroad cars and such are under the roof inside. So this can be done year-round, summer and or winter. In the summer, there's some additional opportunities that are happening outside. And it's not really that expensive to go. Adults are 13 and older or $11. Seniors, yeah. Hey, that puts, I'm in the senior area, so I'm nine bucks. <laughs> I can finally get a discount. Yeah, and children are seven fifty and under two are free. So it's a family event for sure. And like I said, what child or what kid doesn't like railroad? You know, I mean, they recommend it can take up just generally a couple hours. If you don't want to spend all day there, you can also do that. So it's there's railroad rides that you can get in a train and go in the summer, maybe not so much in the winter. But then there's other events that take place throughout the winter on their website, which is nationalrrmuseum.org. Nice. Brian, have you ever been there? I have not been there. One of the things that they used to do, I don't know if they still do it, is offer the railroading merit badge for Boy Scouts. And you could actually camp overnight right in the museum. This past summer, my daughter was in a wedding that was held right on grounds, and the pictures are just fantastic. That's awesome. Have you ever heard of this, Nathan? No, but I've got a 9- and 12-year-old, um, which there you I go. definitely think would be interested, and that's not that far of a drive. So. No. Well, they say over 100,000 visitors annually, so I think we can be a part of that for sure. Well, let's head back to the Portage County Highway Department, and we've got Nathan Check here, our location expert, and we're just kind of picking his brain on all that's involved with Portage County Highway maintenance and uh, keeping us safe on our highways. So I got a question. How do the drivers get to their snowplow? in these big blizzards that are 8, 10, 12 inches. 
Sure. So all of the, the plow trucks in Porch County, we have one centralized shop for our location, which is here in Plover, which has got great access, of course, with I-39, Highway 10, just to the north of us. But in those big snow events, they're typically leaving an hour or two before they need to get here. We've had plenty of employees spend the night, sleep over in cots as well. And we really try to, to minimize those full plow routes at 16, 18 hours max. But these employees are, are out there for that full time. And then we will run a, a second shift or a third shift, for that matter, from a timing standpoint, on the I-39 and Highway 10 system. So as I mentioned, there's some roads that have different categories, and those are our 24-hour priority routes that we need to have service on them during those big events. But it's not just, again, the 16 or 18 hours in the plow route, as you mentioned, it's them trying to get here. Exactly. What does the snowplow driver drive for a personal vehicle? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You saw a commercial a long, long time Back ago. Back in the 70s. Where were they driving? I thought it was a Volkswagen. I thought it was a Volkswagen as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking in this day and age, it's an all-wheel drive SUV or it's a big four-wheel drive pickup truck. It's interesting that they're staying overnight or camping out here beforehand. That's some commitment. Or that's, again, our crews here, this is this is their priority. We're definitely a full-service highway shop from a maintenance and construction standpoint, but winter maintenance does have a significant effect on safety and economy, too. There's a lot of freight, and everybody wants their, their UPS or Amazon deliveries, of course, before the holiday seasons, and our crews that are out there are, are a big part of making that happen. One question, and maybe this isn't placed correctly at this point, but one question I have, is there such thing as snow blindness? Do you ever have to deal with that? I remember when I was growing up, you'd hear about this quite a bit with the snowplow drivers during a big storm. Sure. So it can be for our drivers, of course, and with being in central Wisconsin, especially in that southern part of the county where we've got a lot of large open fields and high wind conditions that are picking up snow from possibly a mile or two around and again last night was a perfect example of where we've got a, essentially a light dusting without a lot of moisture in it that even wheel tracks even your tires are kicking up that snow and creating that cloud we can have snow blindness coming off our plow itself from snow kicking off all of our new trucks now we switched from having front wings in the front of the trucks that help wing off additional snow i'm um, actually move those to a mid-tier rear mount which helps with some of that effect of not having snow come over the wing but then also for drivers Again, as we're plowing, it's just inevitable that we're going to be kicking up some snow dust and creating that, that cloud. So when you see that big cloud, there's a good chance there's a truck in the middle of it. Even with all the LED lights and everything else we have, we have instances, again, where if you can't see that truck, but you see a big cloud, there's chances there's either a semi, a car, or one of our trucks within it. So definitely slow down. I've seen those times where you see that cloud and that's all you see. You don't even see the flashing lights through it. So all of our drivers need to be aware of that for sure. You know, we've spent a lot of time on the snow removal and wintertime maintenance that you do here out of your facility, Nathan. Are you going to segue into the second Wisconsin season? And what is that, Brian? Road construction. Road construction. <laughs> I got to believe you do a lot more than just winter, and it's probably the biggest event of your year. But what else do you do? What else is your team and you do? when it comes to the highways and roads. You're talking about spring where things get soft. Brian, as you mentioned, the uh, construction season. What's your involvement here with all that? So Portage County is a, a full service highway department. So any roadway and maintenance construction and, and bridge maintenance activities as well will perform. So essentially the only thing we won't perform or don't have the capacity to do would be any full bridge replacement projects. But 
shouldering, crack filling, sign replacements. Chip sealing is a big part of our pavement preservation. You'll see those out there. The roadside mowing for visibility for deer and brush control. All those things our county crews perform. Do you also remove roadkill? Correct. For any roadkill on the state highway system, there's actually a state contract, so that would be a private contractor. Anything on the county system, our crews would perform. I have a new respect for this team. Yes. <laughs> I always wondered who picked that roadkill stuff up. <laughs> How do they pick it up when the animal may be smeared? We're pretty fortunate here in Portage County to be more of a rural setting. So one of the, the things allowed by the DNR and then DOT guidelines is actually uh, roadside abandonment. So we can pull it off to the right away if there's not any residences nearby and kind of let Mother Nature take its course. If not, it may be a multi-crew effort to try to get those pieces picked up. That is helpful to know because there's oftentimes, a, now I understand why there might be a deer in the ditch and letting nature take its course. So the other thing with all this maintenance construction activities, we also have a full service shop and parts room that we maintain. And that's nine staff really keeping this fleet up and running that we self-perform the vast majority of our work on our fleet. Out of your shop, do you service the county sheriff cars, highway patrol, or things like that? For the sheriff's office, we do perform some limited work. They actually have a fleet technician on staff now that performs a lot of the work. But Porch County has our own EMS, emergency medical services, and our highway shop will perform all the services on the, the ambulances for Porch County. Wow. The jobs are pretty broad here at the Portage County Highway Department. I'd also pulled up the Portage County Highway Department Capital Improvement Plan for 2022 through 2027, and it really looks like you've got your work cut out for you. A big picture thing that goes out quite a ways that I would assume that you work on bits and pieces throughout the years. Sure. So our capital improvement plan gets evaluated every year because conditions change and financing and budgets may change. But it's really taking a look at our long-term goals for our roadway system. And of course, that starts with maintenance and preservation. So trying to preserve what we have for as long as we can, which with a good preservation program, we've really been successful in extending the life of our roads. But then when it gets to a point where it makes no sense, no a financial sense to putting more money in a preservation standpoint, then it gets inserted into the capital improvement program. So our capital improvement program would be the resurfacing projects, the reconditioning where we may be doing some ditching, may level out a hill or realign a curve, all the way to full reconstruction. We're really rebuilding that road from right away to right away. And that plan is on our, our website. And as I said, we do review it every year with the highway committee and then ultimately through county board. It averages around just over $4 million a year just strictly for those improvements. And as we see rising costs when it comes to gravel and asphalt and those things, of course, $4.2 million this year isn't necessarily going to buy us $4.2 million in five years. So that's why it is, is a plan which can be adjusted. But we do have some significant projects coming up. 2022, our major reconstruction project will be County Z, east of Polonia. That's in the town of Sharon and New Hope. That will be a full reconstruction from right away to right away. And then we do have a mill and overlay plan for County HH, which is the old Highway 10 from the city of Stevens Point limits, heading west out to uh, County P and State Trunk Highway 34 north over there by the Tank Farms. What's going to happen on the road? Because I happen to live in that direction. What was that again? <laughs> so the 
county HH project will be a mill and overlay. So it'll be a milling machine. We essentially take the top two inches off of that service and then we'll pave two inches back. So that project had received a thin overlay over 10 years ago as part of the DOT transfer to the county. That overlay now is starting to actually show signs of distress and pop off. So we're going to try to get ahead of it before we start losing major parts of it. So from, and you said from the city limit. Correct. So from the Clark Street intersection there, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of concrete then heading west from there. Yes. And then the other major traffic impact for 2022 is as part of our the DOT bridge program, we'll be replacing the county Y bridge over Bentley Pond. So that's going to require a full closure of county Y up near the northern part of the county. Thinking about that, it leads me into the question of like when that starts and road restrictions, weight restrictions in the spring. Can you tell us a little bit about like why weight restrictions actually even exist? Sure. Every year, as many of the drivers may notice, that there's special signs posted on the county road system limiting the uh, overall weight, axle weights on these vehicles. And primarily what it comes down to is during that spring season, we've got frost in the ground. So that subgrade and subbase, which would be the gravel underneath the road providing that support, is frozen. Now the spring comes and that starts to melt and the frost starts to come out. Well, with that, introduces moisture into the roadbed, which essentially creates a waterbed. So we lose our structural support for that roadway system. Now we need to protect it because any of those heavy weights that are essentially pushing down on that waterbed is going to lead to more cracking and pavement distress. So while we fully understand it is an inconvenience, for people, it really comes down to trying to extend the life of our roadway system. So it is not the heaving necessarily, but the pressure downward that cracks. Or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. When we have variable subgrades, so if you have some clays or some silts, that as they freeze and thaw, they expand more than a sand would, is where you typically would see the heaves. A lot of our dips that you may see in the county road, it's actually where the culvert material that we backfill the culvert is well drained, so it's a gravel or sand. That doesn't move, but the rest of the road does. But really, it comes down to the, the spring postings is really trying to protect that roadbed and road base just because it is at a very vulnerable spot. Thank you for that explanation, which leads me to think about, like, have we had to deal with the summer heat heaving that, you know, like I just think of I-39 has had some sections where it just buckled. Yeah, last year was uh, a good number of buckles, on uh, primarily on Highway 54 here and west towards uh, Wisconsin Rapids, and then Highway 10 east. And we did have some on Highway 10 west as well. So whenever those pavement temperatures rise, and again, materials want to expand when they get heated, and if there's enough friction and there's not enough room for them to go, they want to go up. So we've responded to a good number of pavement buckles last year, and we'll continue to do so. It seems more not necessarily on the newer pavements, it comes into a sweet spot in that age where all of a sudden they start to bind and just the only direction for them to go is up. And unfortunately, that's where we've got traffic and it's normally around the 4th of July and Mm -hmm. everybody's on the road. So again, it comes down to really being aware of your surroundings because you don't know when those, we can't predict where it's going to occur. We can have our equipment ready when we see the temperatures rising and all those things, but and we can't predict exactly what section is going to go at what time. It's amazing how quickly they can take that unusable road and make it passable. Yeah, it's typically a multiple-step process depending on the severity of it, but our main goal is to get 
the loose pieces jackhammered out, possibly get some patching material and get that roadway back open. And then we may come back and do more of a semi-permanent asphalt patch. And then really we don't want to put the, the full concrete patch back in there because the road is still expanding at that point. And if it's at that temperature and other places may pop, and that is actually now a relief spot for it that it can push up against. So you so, do a kind of a temporary repair and then come back and... Correct. So typically in the fall would be the, the permanent repair. And again, the, the temporary repair isn't because we're lazy or don't want to do it. It's really there. It gives us another relief point in that road because we know it's going to want to expand more and it may prevent another buckle just up the road. Good information to know that exactly like, why aren't they getting to this? This patch is still there. Now it makes total sense. I'd hate to be that first driver to, to find oh, that buckle, you know, within <laughs> 20 feet ahead. That's the choice scares me. Yeah, especially if you're on a motorcycle. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Don't even want to think about that. So one thing that I've always been curious about is our state highways, county highways, and city highway and road departments. How do you all play together? Is there a lot of communication back and forth? Is a lot of that assumed? How do you work together where the roads meet, so to say? Each situation is different. From a state to county relationship, though, it's very unique. So it was the state of Wisconsin is the only state in the U.S. in which county highway departments perform all of the state maintenance on their roads. So the state of Wisconsin does not own any plow trucks, does not do any of their own crack filling or mowing. They do have electricians that would perform work on the streetlights or the traffic signals, and they do have some bridge maintenance crews. But the vast majority of what you see out there on the state system is performed by county highway departments. And as we look more regionally and working with our neighboring states as well, we found that this model is very, very cost effective because you're not doubling up on the supervision. You're not doubling up on facilities or equipment. And it's led to, in Porch County alone, for some of our plow routes, you get efficiencies because now we can blend our plow routes. So some of our plow routes are part county roads and part state roads. You really eliminate deadheading and double travel time. So we do have state maintenance coordinators that we're in constant contact. And of course, we have a budget that we need to adhere by with them. But it is a unique relationship with the state. From a county to municipal side, I would say that a lot of our interactions is primarily with the towns just because these towns have limited resources and staffing. So we will perform some maintenance and some construction projects for them. And then the, the cities and villages typically have their own staff, and they do in, in Portage County, and we'll rely on each other for technical expertise. But for the most part, they're self-performing their own work. You know, I think that all of that raises a really good question of understanding and some of that, that if anybody listening to this has questions about a roadway to contact the county or if whether it's state and be directed, as we said, you know, the road labeling tells you who to call, but to understand the vast work that's done by their county, probably. Well, kind of wrapping up everything that we've talked about and all that you and your team, Nathan, do here through the Portage County Highway Department, if you could wrap this up for us and give us your words of caution as driving through highway work zones and plowing operations, what would that be? It really comes down to, again, that driver awareness. Eliminate the distractions and reduce your speeds, especially in these inclement weather conditions. And truly give our crews, give the municipal crews the respect that they deserve. They're out there trying to make the road safer, ultimately for you and for your deliveries and for your kids to get on the bus and get to school. But with that, they need to be alive in order to do that. 
And by not giving us enough space, by speeding through our work zones distracted, it's becoming more and more of a concern. We recently just had a fatality within one of our work zones here in Portage County, and, and that individual, unfortunately, you know, isn't able to go home to their families. And the vast majority of, well, we're there to protect our workers, but when we look at statistics, when there's a work zone accident, it's not always necessarily our workers that are getting injured. It's the driver and or their passenger and the vast majority of those cases because they're hitting large pieces of equipment. They're hitting them at odd angles. So it really comes down to protecting our workers, but also protecting yourself while you're out on the road. That text message can wait. There's nothing that important that you need to pick up your phone and look at a text when you're driving through a snowstorm. If you need to pull over at the next ramp at the next intersection and check it at that point. Good advice. Very well said, Nathan. (laughs) Well, Nathan, we thank you and your team at the Portage County Highway Department for all that you do in allowing us a better understanding of your efforts and commitment to safety on our Portage County Highways. Again, greatly appreciate the invite. And uh, if anyone from the public ever wants a tour of our highway shop and our operations, uh, you can definitely contact the the Portage County Highway Department. Awesome. We may take you up on that. That's great. So we hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.